We've been talking a lot this week about, well, Donald Trump, frankly. Uh, the uh, GOP frontrunner in their presidential nomination race has been making a lot of headlines, and look, clearly deliberately so. I, I think Donald Trump's being deliberately provocative. But the scary thing is that it's, that it's playing well. Uh, Donald Trump suggested this week that if he were president, he would prohibit all Muslims from entering the country. Even apparently American Muslims who leave to travel abroad and then return home. He says he would prohibit that until officials figure out what's going on, whatever that means. The problem with that kind of approach, obviously, then, is it lumps all Muslims together. Uh, clearly, there is a strain of Islam that represents a threat. Islamism, or even jihadism, which goes even further. But what people like Donald Trump, I think, fail to realize or fail to appreciate is that there are Muslims who are trying to fight against that. There are Muslims who are speaking out against fundamentalism and extremism and pushing for reform within their own faith. And to me, it seems incredibly counterproductive to decide that those people are no longer our allies, because I think they really need to be. Anyway, joining us to talk about these issues, and in particular what we're learning as well about these San Bernardino shooters uh, and the uh, terrorist attack they carried out and whether there's a Canadian connection to all of that. Uh, somebody who's been very outspoken on, on these matters and very pleased to welcome her to the program. Her name is Rahil Raza. Uh, she's president of the uh, group Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow. She's an author, journalist, human rights activist. Rahil, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Uh, we got important issues to talk about, important issues that, that we're facing as a country. But let, let's start with, with Donald Trump, first of all, and what you make of, of what he said this week. Well, Donald Trump has a history of making uh, very crass uh, remarks, uh, crass and arrogant remarks. Uh, he said this before about other groups and, uh, you know, does not sit well. But after a knee-jerk reaction that everybody has had, um, I think we need to take a deep breath, have a cool drink and sit back and look at this in a balanced way. So what we're looking at is two extremes. You know, you have Hillary Clinton saying that there is no problem at all. Everyone is wonderful. All Muslims are peace-loving. And, you know, let's all just do kumbaya, hold hands, hug each other and get along. That's not true. Um, you know, Mr. Trump is saying all Muslims are to be banned and radical. That's not true either. Somewhere in between all of this lies the truth. However, when people like Mr. Trump make these remarks, first of all, let's not forget it's an election year, so nobody cares about anybody's feelings. You know, it's just about votes. And we've seen this happen in our own country in Canada as well. But, uh, you know, we, we need to take a, as I said, a deep breath and look, look at this in a balanced way to understand, to ask the question, uh, you know, what brought him to say this? Uh, underlying, again, uh, you know, I don't forgive him his crassness and his very bad taste, but, uh, he could have articulated this in a better way because it is a thought that needs a lot of conversation. It is an issue that needs a lot of conversation. To make generalized statements like this doesn't start the conversation, it stops the conversation. And, uh, you know, we need to, to take a deep breath, Muslims especially, to say, you know, what would bring him to say something like this? So, 
you know, I look upon this as an opportunity for conversation, and this is a much-needed conversation that we have not had since 9-11. And it's about time that we pulled up our socks, uh, you know, we stopped being oversensitive, and we look at this and say, okay, why did he say this? Is there a problem with Muslims in North America? Yes, there is. A certain number of Muslims, mm-hmm. not all. Mm-hmm. And that's where the conversation needs to start. Do you believe, though, that, that politicians like Donald Trump, who, who say the things that they do, that, does that play into the hands of, of extremists and radicals? Yes, absolutely. It gives them an opportunity to say, aha, we told you that the West was evil and we told you that this is what they're saying. So it's not helping the cause. We are at a very, very a tricky situation now, a very urgent situation where the extremists have declared war on the West. This happened at 9-11, and I don't know how long it will be before the leadership in the West can wake up to actually articulate and acknowledge that they are at war with us. And it's not because I'm saying so, it's because they have said. ISIS has very clearly said said, we are going to target the West and we're going to do it from inside. Now, uh, of course, in a practical way as well, uh, stopping immigration does not stop those, um, uh, you know, uh, pods and those agents of the radical Islamists that are already in this country. Uh, and they have been for many years, and we've turned a blind eye to that. Uh, so the issues and the areas that we need to look at is where is the ideology coming from? Where is the funding coming from? Because we have to remember that no one is born a terrorist. Terrorism is taught, and it's taught through hate. So where is the hate ideology coming from? Let's target that. And uh, I am part of a newly formed Muslim reform group that is doing exactly this. We have put out a declaration. It's on our Facebook page at Muslims Facing Tomorrow and on the Muslim Reform Movement. And we are challenging uh, Muslim leadership to ask these really key questions. And all this just plays into the concept that we need to have a conversation about radical Islamists. And we need to figure out how we can plug the holes that are there through the funding, through the ideology, through the hate. And that's when we will be taking practical steps. We Muslims who are loyal to the countries in which we live, we have adopted the West as our home. We are very concerned about the future of our children and our grandchildren. And we want to work with our neighbors and our friends. It doesn't matter what faith you are, what culture you are. This is a common cause. We need to all come together. Hate and bigotry doesn't help the cause. It only feeds the radicals. So in a very balanced way between the two extremes, we need to walk this walk and talk this talk, and we need to take action. And this is what we have done at the Muslim Reform Movement. This is what we have been doing in our organization, Muslims Facing Tomorrow, for over a decade now. And the connection to one of the terrorists in the San Bernardino shootings to Canada uh, brings all this home because 10 years ago, when this Al-Huda Institute first opened its doors in Canada, our group was the one who rang the alarm bells and told our uh, law enforcement agencies and our government that there's something very wrong with this. Mm -hmm. The ideology that this woman is teaching uh, the woman by the name of Farah Kashmi, who is from Pakistan, where I am from, so I know the harm she has done to individuals and to families and to people. So we said this, but nobody took uh, any paid any attention. Now, because there is a connection directly with a woman who uh, kills people, everyone is asking the same question. So should we not have this conversation before the actual acts take place?
Absolutely. Now, just so people understand what the, the story is, that uh, Farhat Hashmi, as we learned, attended a school in, in Pakistan uh, known as, as you say, Al-Hudna. Not uh, attended. She started it. She sta- oh, she started it. Yeah. Or no, yeah. You're, you're correct. Sorry, Tashfeen Malik attended that school. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Farhat Hashmi started the school. She moved to Canada, uh, Ms. Hashmi, that is, and, and started similar schools here in this country. Yes, absolutely. And you were she sounding started- the alarm about this a decade ago. We did. McLean's magazine in Toronto did a story on it. It was covered in media, but nothing really happened. Uh, that school, uh, you know, still exists, and the ideology they're teaching is getting worse over time. You what know? are they teaching? So, what kind of ideology are they, do, do these schools? Well, it's a women's only institute. So first of all, you know, it's teaching women to cover themselves from head to toe, wear a niqab, wear gloves, don't interact with non-Muslims, uh, you know, encourage polygamy because it's nice to share the fun. Uh, you know, don't, and most importantly, what, what they're teaching is the us and them ideology that, you know, you're living in the West. The West is not your friend. Don't make friends with people here who are not part of your faith. Don't vote for anyone who is not Muslim. I mean, this is Canada. Uh, how ugly is that? And over a period of time, um, you know, women go modern uh, educated women go to the school and they come out of there in Saudi attire with this ideology that they're spouting. So it's frightening. Do we want our young girls going up in Canada learning this ideology and this hate for the other? This is something that is so insidious and this is something that we have to target. Hate is the cause of much of this ideology and there is no place in Canada for this hate. As I understand it, uh, Farhad Hashmi, a decade ago, or in 2006, was was told to leave Canada. Well, you know, you can politely, very in a very friendly way, tell somebody to leave, but are they going but to she leave? But she wasn't ordered out, as far as you're aware. No, no. Oh, okay. and, and once you come to Canada, you know, we are a warm, loving, naive, uh, you know, embracing people. We embrace everyone. And along that, if uh, there are people who don't have the same good intentions for this country and don't have the same loyalty that I have taught my sons and my family, then we have a huge problem. For us, this is home. And we chose to come here. So there has to be loyalty to the land because then you can't harm the, the home that you live in. But these young people in, in, in many mosques, in religious institutions are taught that this is not really your home. And uh, it becomes easy then to, to manipulate their minds. So essentially, Farhat Hashmi and the Al-Huda Institute is poisoning the well from which radicals are manipulated and picked up. Well, what's the path? Because Islamism and jihadism are, are not necessarily the same thing. I mean, one is, is, is a jump to the other, I suppose. So how does that process go in terms of putting fundamentalist ideas in someone's head and then, and then recruiting them to, to be violent? Well, as I said, it's a process. It starts with extremist fundamentalist ideas, not necessarily acted out in violence. But then these people become a a target for those who are manipulating them and those who are then bringing them into the violent jihad. So there's a huge problem in the process and the steps 
that we have to take is, as I said before, it's, it's in some ways very simple. In some ways, it's difficult. We have to see where the funding is coming from. Saudi Arabia is a huge culprit in this. Mm-hmm. But I don't see anybody uh, criticizing Saudi Arabia. They are the ones who have funded this ideology on the backs of billions of petrodollars. They've been doing so for 30 years in their curriculum. In, they've even changed our scripture. They've even added to the Quran uh, their own ideology. So they are so dangerous. And we have to look at all of this, you know, how much are they funding institutions and schools and, and madrasas in Canada and in America? And they are. We know this for a fact. Yeah. So we have to target the, the route from where the funding is coming from and from where the ideology is coming from. We have to uh, look at our young people and see what they're learning. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we live in a time where this kind of surveillance is necessary. We are living in dangerous times. So we need to take, uh, you know, measures that may be above and beyond what was uh, what existed before. Rahil, stand by if you can here. We've got to take a, a quick break. I want to continue this conversation. Uh, Rahil Raza is our guest, president of Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow. You can find them on the web at muslimsfacingtomorrow.com. It's uh, King Gate and Breckenridge. We're back with more right after this. Right, welcome back, Kincaid and Breckenridge. Rob Breckenridge with you. Uh, Roger, uh, off for a few days' vacation. We're speaking with Raheel Raza, who is president of the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow, talking about, as she said, being caught between these, these two extremes. Raheel, we, we've had issues here in Calgary, and, and, and I've actually called out some of the groups here in Calgary who have done this, because we've had hate preachers like Bilal Phillips and Abdullah Hakim Quick, people who advocate death for homosexuals, for example, invited to come speak in Calgary. And, and I just wonder, what message is being sent by doing so and and just how it further i think divides um you know the muslim community from from everyone else well again as i said these are not messages that are promoting canadian values they're not telling young people listen you're here you're you know you're a canadian you have loyalty to this land they're not being told this they're told that they have loyalty to the umma or someplace where they where they originally came from these uh, preachers who promote hate should not be allowed to come and speak in canada i mean we have hate laws and we should we should look at them but people are so afraid they are so politically correct they are so afraid of speaking out that they'll be called racist. And of course, there's an entire industry that is called Islamophobia that has been perpetuated so that people like you would never speak out. So therefore, I come back to the point that we Muslims have to be the front runners in this battle. We are the ones who should speak out and must speak out. And the numbers are very frightening. There's a new documentary out. It's called By the Numbers, which actually gives you the demographics of the numbers of people who hold these fundamentalist views. And holding these fundamentalist views by themselves is not wrong. But then, as I said, you can very easily tip over to the other side. And why in a country like Canada should this even be brought up? Uh, you know, the whole narrative has to change. And at the Muslim Reform Movement, we are doing that. We are changing the narrative. For example, the concept of armed jihad, which is an Islamic concept, existed in the 7th century, just like slavery and polygamy. We are saying it's no longer valid in the 21st century. And we are asking our leadership to denounce it loud and clear, because this is what young people are taught, that you are you know, permanently in a state of armed jihad, which means it's okay to lash out and kill someone. 
So these are the messages that need to be stopped. These are the messages that need to be changed into messages of compassion and love and mercy and love your neighbor, which are the spiritual concepts of Islam, just like the faiths that came before it. They've been subsumed by the violent narrative, and we want to reclaim the narrative of mercy and compassion and love, and we want to live in harmony with our neighbors and our friends and the country that we chose as our home. Does it feel like you're you're losing that 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 you're not winning this battle or how do you remain optimistic given everything we're, we're seeing happening in the world well yes but then uh you know every journey began with a small drop with a first step look at the christian reform how long did it take and how harsh harsh and bloody it was and then after people understood that this is what happened somebody had to take the first step and i come back to our movement the muslim reform movement is the first of its kind that's reclaiming our space in the mosques that's reclaiming the narrative we are taking the first step we had a group of about 20 to 25 um uh, reform minded muslims from all over the world and we are now beyond words we are now into action and we hope that the next generations will appreciate the groundwork that we've done and they will pick up on this. If I was not optimistic, if I didn't have hope, I couldn't do the work that I do. Yeah. So I am an optimist. And I do look forward to the day when we will all learn to live with each other in love and harmony. And But before we can come to the love, we have to call out those who are uh, using harsh methods to silence everyone. And let me assure you that Muslims are one of the largest targets of the Islamist radicals as well. Muslims who don't agree with them. Muslims who follow another sect or another path. There is constant persecution of Ahmadis and Shias. Mm -hmm. Uh, Malaysia has just uh, declared that uh, the Shia faith is banned in uh, Malaysia. So what kind of tolerance is that? And then they get upset if Trump says something which is out of line. But are Muslims being tolerant? it's a time for Muslims to look inwards, not outwards. It's for them to reflect on when they are at. What is their thinking? What is their ideology? How much hate do they perpetuate that we've come to a stage we have to, that we have to hear what Trump is saying? Any criticism of Islam or Muslims, it's an opportunity to look inward. And it's an opportunity for a dialogue. And we can't do this alone. We need your support. We need the support of all your listeners. We need everybody to walk with us on this movement that we have created. Well, let's take a couple of phone calls for you here in our time remaining. Uh, Aziz, go ahead. Uh, yes, you have an amazing speaker. Um, I fear for you, Miss, that you will be branded as a heretic. Yes. I'm, I'm sure you have been. Right. You, you've yeah. been called an apostate before. Oh, I've sure. been called. Yeah. It's, it's not, uh, thank you so much, my friend. Um, it's, it's already been done. But you know, when you, when you are on the path of truth and justice, you don't worry. I'm very, very dedicated to the cause, and I do it within, from within the circle of Islam. And people ask me, are you afraid? And um, I don't have time to be afraid. Uh, there is so much to do. My personal uh, safety... It doesn't matter. People can call me whatever they want, but we still have to do what we yeah. have to do. I, I was talking to one of my friends. He brought up the Paris attacks, and uh, and he's a he's not Muslim, but I don't look at him that way. But uh, he, he he cited uh, a chapter, uh, actually a historical event, in which uh, you know the Prophet of Islam uh, he uh, executed the uh, Jewish elders, okay. uh, beheaded them. 
And I explained to him, you know, that's a, that's a historical event. Uh, it has no relevance in modern era. You know, how do, how do we, how do we it's, um, as Muslims, engage interfaith dialogue and explain some dark parts in Islamic history? Yeah, how very do we, interesting. How do we yes. explain that? We do it exactly as you did. You know, mm. this is such an important point. And I'm very involved in interfaith dialogue. What we do is we say that, you know, that every scripture has its violence. Uh, portions, by the way. So not just not just the Quran. So, you know, we are not exclusive in that. But what other faiths have done <clears throat> is that they've taken those violent passages and they've put them aside and said that they were for a time in place. And I do agree that 7th century Arabia was a tribal society. These were warring tribes. The only way they knew to deal with each other was through this. And even the example of the Prophet, first of all, there's, uh, you know, questions about whether that really happened or not. But despite that fact, it was live or let live. You know, you either fight the battle or you die yourself. But we say that was for 7th century Arabia, and we leave it there. We are now in the 21st century. We need to put aside some of this in the scripture, and we need to move ahead with the compassionate and merciful portions of the Quran, which are the majority, by the way. So, you know, the extremists and those who are bigots take the same passages of the Quran out of context. And if you take anything out of context, and especially historical context, it can mean a very different thing. It doesn't apply today. You take a line out of context from the Old Testament or the Bible or the Quran, and it can mean yeah, something entirely exactly. different. Aziz, thank so you so much for honing in. Rahil, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time uh, for, for this conversation. We'll have to do it again more at MuslimsFacingTomorrow.com. Okay. Uh, all the best to you, Rahil. Thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Take care. Rahil Raza is president of the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow, uh, an author, uh, a journalist as well. More at MuslimsFacingTomorrow.com. We need to take a break here. When we come back, Jason Van Rassel from the Calgary Herald is going to join us. Fascinating uh, piece he's put together for the Herald this morning, uh, looking at murder in the city of Calgary. How safe a city are we? We're back with more right after this.